0: Hi, I am Patricia Schaefer, President of the Compassionate Friends Queensland. True Grief is a podcast of honest conversations about our experience with grief through the loss of a child. We hope this podcast creates opportunities for our listeners to have their own conversations and helps you to feel less isolated in your journey. This podcast is for entertainment purposes as we are not qualified counseling professionals. We are a peer support group. If you feel the need to speak to someone after listening to our conversations, please contact our national helpline on 1300064068 or Ring Lifeline on 131114.
1: David Murray, this is the True Grief Podcast number one. With me I have Trish. Hello Trish. Hi. And Tina. Hi. And we're going to be having some honest and frank conversations about grief. All of us have lost someone very close to us. I've lost a child. Trish has lost two children and Tina has lost a sister. Trish, you have some questions for Tina?
0: Yes, well I've got some questions for all of us. I think this is relevant to all of us. I want to say thanks for giving us the opportunity Tina to have this honest conversation because part of this for me is I can't sit down and talk to my children because I think they're too scared they're going to hurt my feelings Mm -hmm. and I often think maybe they've got things they want to ask me but yeah yeah um again don't want to ask so I have some questions I hope we can get through them and and see where it goes. So I think the first question I've I've been curious about is how um, do we perceive the world and how the world perceives us in the depths of our grief. So I suppose I'm asking from your sibling point of view how you see that, and then I would like to share with you how we saw it as a parent.
2: Mm-hmm. I think. Um... <clears throat> Do you mean in general or or as how how did I perceive my parents and, and mother
0: I think both yeah. i want to I want you to sort of articulate if you can how you felt the world responded to you in the depths of your grief mm-hmm. like as in a general society yeah, and then how your parents how your parents um, responded to you um in your grief.
2: Yeah. Okay. I think really to answer that, that question, it's really important to give a little bit of context because um, my sister was the result of a domestic homicide. She died as a result of domestic homicide. Um, it was a very, very public, well-known case in Sydney, New South Wales. So in terms of how the world responded to me and us as a family um was probably very different than a lot of a lot of people would experience um having lost a child like you or or a sibling um because although although the the way we lose our loved ones um doesn't change the relationship that we had with those loved ones it does Add a layer of complexity to how we're able to process and grieve and uh, move through that challenge. And because we were dealing with a homicide, um, a missing person and um, a criminal investigation, that added a whole nother layer to um, how we could respond how we were um, allowed to respond because there were certain things that we as a family working with police were allowed to say, weren't allowed to say, you know, things like that. So right. um, and because it was very high-profile media case, there was a lot of media intrusion in our lives. So we had to be very, very mindful of our grief and how how and when we grieved which was very unnatural and uh added a very difficult layer of complexity to the process um and so you know publicly there's the public face we call it like me particularly but but our family called it you know the mask we we put on the mask to go out in public um I was a single parent of one, like a biological child. He was seven at the time. I then took on uh, custody of my niece, who was three. Um, So my sister's child. So generally speaking, to answer your question, to get back to the question, the world saw me as... Jodie's sister. Yep. The face that was on the news, uh that beautiful woman and child who was plastered all, you know, all over the news for weeks and weeks and weeks and months, you know, trying to find um you know, the killer, trying to, you know, apprehend the perpetrator and you know, how she died, why she died, you know, all those questions. Um and we had a custody battle, so the press were you know at, at every court appearance and you know so it was very um the world at large responded very positively like very uh, positive is probably not the right word but with compassion um i we would often say as a family that having lost jody in a homicide situation um we had seen the worst of humanity. You know, we were witnessing and being party to the worst of humanity and how how badly that can go and how wrong that can turn out. But on the flip side of that, we were also privy to the very, very best of humanity and and how how the world at large responded to us um, as a family um. I, I can honestly say without the support of very key people, I don't know that I would still be here today. Okay. Um, um, the love and support and compassion and empathy that we felt wrap around us as a family was incredible. But when you drill down into the individuals within the family... I was Jodie's sister and therefore somehow the perception was that my grief could not possibly be as profound as my mother, as my niece. Um, And whenever people would see me, greet me, hug me, show me compassion. I was always met with, but how's your mother doing? Mm. It was, you know, really sorry to hear about your sister, but how's your mother doing? It must be devastating for her. And whilst that's true and whilst that is um, it like sits in my heart and, I, you know, as a mother myself at the time, I... I I, I, I couldn't conjure being in her position. I just, I cannot fathom. I cannot, I don't ever want to have to find out what that feels like to lose a child. Um, But at the same time, it was very, very dismissive. I felt very unseen, um, very dismissed. Yeah. and over time my role in my sister's life diminished very um it diminished to it almost like there was no relationship with my sister it was i now am my niece's mother or i now am you know, my mother's support or, um, um, yeah. So
0: you felt lost in that process.
2: I I felt lost in the process. Not, not a deliberate callous, um, we're just going to cut you out kind of way. It was, and rightly so, like I, 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 I really don't want to come across like there's any, um, and animosity is probably not the right word, but I I have no ill feeling towards my mother at all. Like, Mm -hmm. I'm not saying that, or towards other family members or my niece, like nothing like that. I guess what I'm trying to articulate is that in our society, we kind of bow to, you know, there must be levels of grief and a parent losing a child like that's up there. Like that is the pinnacle. That is the top. Yeah. Um, and then you know, kind of all other relationships, you, you know, come come under that, I guess. And and again, as a parent, I know what it felt like losing Jody, my sister. Yeah. I I can't even imagine what it would be like to lose my son. Can't even. They are in two different spheres. And I guess that's what I like. I, I really want to be very clear that I, I, as a sibling, and speaking of my experience, I really do not want to diminish and dismiss and uh, uh, negate the role of the, par- the parent, you know, and my mother, because that would be very disrespectful and just not true. It's just, it's just not where I'm coming from. So I just really I just really want to be very clear about that. <laughs> okay, I get it?
0: Can I... Right, so listening to what I'm hearing, and I'm sad about this, but what, what I'm hearing is, like, if... I don't like, like, you to state what loss is worse, but for me, having lost a parent... Um, never lost a sibling, lost grandparents, lost two children. I've got to say the children are up there. Mm. But, uh, I, the pain that comes from that is phenomenal. Like it's, like it's cellular, if that's the way to say it. Um, but from what I'm hearing of this conversation, which is I suppose one of our fears as parents, is that they don't see you equal to us in your grief when when your sibling dies mm. if that make is yeah. that what you're that, trying that to that would be
2: yeah that would be a very accurate yeah. description yeah
0: and i got to say as a parent until i came to tcfq i knew that my children struggled um I always felt like I supported him to the best level I could. And there was times when things were said, like my daughter once said to me, Oh, where's your golden child now? Hey, where is he now? And it's like, hey, hold on, you're all equal. Yeah. Um so it made me realise that even in my grief the kids put themselves into a pecking order, I think. Yeah. Because he was the eldest. Yeah. So he was firstborn. Um, so he, but I don't think we as parents articulate that each child we joke about favourites and I suppose parents and children like anybody else have special connections with each other it's not that that connection overrides every other child and the family's connection it's just that I suppose that one child got you more They got your genetics more or they got your sense of humour more, which was the case of Eric. Mm. He was very similar to me. But if you took, like I was trying to say to my children, if any of you were to leave the home in that same context, it would still have the same impact. And I don't think we articulate that enough for you guys to hear that. Like Mm. I don't know how. We can articulate, like, I don't know what we can do to bring that in because I'm sad to hear that society, I suppose, and family don't consider your loss equal to ours because you're in our nuclear family.
2: Mm. Yeah. I, I I can't and won't speak for my brother. I have a brother. There was three of us. My sister was the youngest. Um growing up we always laughed that she was the protected species because she was five years younger than me and three years younger than my brother so um, we had a very uh, violent and interesting upbringing um, to say the least so my brother and I as her older siblings were very very protective of her um, in 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 different scenarios, in our different way, and 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 within our personality, and our context, and what we could bring to that. Like my brother was very protective to her in different ways than I was, um, but nonetheless, she was the baby, and she was the protected species, and and that was like like a running joke between the the three siblings. Um, and I don't, I I think that I I really. I never felt less than in my mother's eyes. Mm-hmm. I never felt unloved. I never felt like she loved Jodie more than me. Um, I never felt that um, the wrong child had died. Right. Um, again, I can't speak for my brother. I can only speak, you know, from my, from my perspective. Um but what, what was very evident was that our grieving processes and our rank in order of grief, if, yeah. as we say, yeah. um, you know, I, I, I remember very, very clearly one particular day would have been before the perpetrator was arrested. Um, but after we'd been, because because my niece was put in my care the, when they found my sister, uh, I was stuck in Sydney. I lived in Port Macquarie in New South Wales. I was stuck in Sydney because I couldn't leave with my niece. Okay. So we were stuck in Sydney for six weeks. Um, my son, you know... It was in January, so we we're in the Christmas school holidays. My son was missing school, and I was missing work, and you know, like obviously, life was turned upside down as it was. But this was kind of prolonging our return home.
0: Yeah.
2: Um, so I had to seek permission from the courts to to go back to Port Macquarie with Sailor. Um, and so I, I I'm saying that because the time period was after that six weeks, but before three months. So it was very early in the piece. Um, and my my mum was having a very, very, very hard day. They're all hard days, um, but she was really mad at me. She was really mad at me. The anger was just consuming her that day. And unfortunately, I just happened to be the, uh, the one that was in front of her. Um, And she was so mad that I was going to work, that I could get up and put on my happy face, take my kids to school and daycare and go to work all day and be happy and smiley and communicate with the world and, and then come home and, you know, you obviously don't miss her or don't love her as much because you can do that. Um, That's strong. So it's 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 hard, and I think I think it doesn't necessarily. It just kind of again. I know my mum loved me, and I know she was just in the depths of that grief at the time, but it it does serve to diminish that. Relationship and that loss that I felt because I actually didn't have a choice. I was a single parent. I am the breadwinner. If I don't put on my mask and my happy face and pull myself together for at least those seven hours that I have to sit in the office, I can't provide for my children. I can't put a roof over their head. Mm-hmm. I can't feed them. I can't you know, pay for their sporting things. I can't pay for my nieces and my son's psychology bills to try and deal with the trauma. Like I I can't pay for my own psychology bills to deal with the trauma. Um, And so I felt in that moment very unfairly judged Um, and like my relationship with my sister was somehow less than her relationship with my sister because I could put on yeah. Because I, I I could do that Whereas she was saying I can't, you know, it's my child mm-hmm. I can't even find a mask Let alone put it on and go to work And do you know like And
0: I think you've just spotted That difference in the grief process Yeah Because I think as a parent We find it very Hard In saying that um I've watched parents go back to work quite quickly and for me personally I was like how the bloody hell do you do that because I can't I can't even get out of bed I don't even know how to breathe I don't I don't even know how to formulate a sentence at this stage I think it took me three months before I got out of the pajamas that I was in It, it was pretty shocking yeah um I I'm sad to hear that, uh, and I'm I'm very sad to hear that. I think it was, and I hope that the kids hear this and maybe come back and help me out a bit with some stuff. That's one of the reasons I'm doing it. Um, for me I, I cried a lot like I just sat down I played a song over and over if we ever hear it again we'll shoot it it was Pink Sober <laughs> and we, we just sort of like everyone turned off the radio I smashed that song so hard it played 24 four seven. I don't know it was just music resonated in me and I just wanted to lose myself that's for me I remember actually sitting down with my children just before we buried Eric this is the first child so a little bit of um, background with Eric. Eric is Indigenous. Um, 18. Um, was one of what I would call a wild child. Was the one who would experiment and get into everything. And I'm not going to say that you know he wasn't a naughty kid. He was, but at the same time, he was a nice person. He was a nice person. Um, I used to say to my kids. You know, there's going to be times when I'm not going to like you as people, Mm. but that won't stop me from loving you, because that's part of growing. And I just want us to all know that that's okay. So at that stage in his life, he had been not a sort of person I'd hang out with, but I still loved him. We talked, don't get me wrong. Anyway, um, sadly, Eric committed suicide. Mm. He had tried to burn himself to death and had tried to hang himself... And then successfully um, put himself in front of a moving motor vehicle so um, all on the same night I had spoken to him that night Um, there was no indicator that this is going on Uh, but I think it's relevant that you know that part of the story because that's why I couldn't move for three months I was very and I remember the kids, we all, we buried Eric in Townsville and I remember we all got together and I sat them down and I said, look, it's like this. I love you, but I'm so broken. I don't know who or what I am anymore. And your family is there. They'll help you. Just give me some time to get myself together. When I finally came out of my cocoon, I realised no one was there for him. Hmm. Like no one was there for them. My daughter had had a baby um she was only young i thought there would be more support her friends helped her more than actual family if i'm going to be honest but she barely scraped through that my poor 12 year old son at the time who's now my baby and 24 and doing well um he had to live with me crying and listening to Think Sober over and over and over. I mean, I nearly put the poor kid in an institute just doing what I was doing. And he later told me he thought I was an alcoholic because of the way I was crying and mourning. He had a friend whose mother was an alcoholic and we appeared to be similar in how we would be acting. So mm. he assumed that I was drinking, which mortified me because I don't like alcohol, and I don't drink. Not to say that I have never drunk, but yeah. Um, And I learned that he used to stand in his room with a knife to his throat because he couldn't hack the way mum was. And because I had sat down and said, look, I just, I'm checking out. I thought there was more support. So that hurts my heart to know that when they needed me, I couldn't be there. And what hurts me and upsets me is the people I wanted to rely on couldn't be there and i understand that i'm not trying to diminish their pain through the loss of um eric but it was us as a nuclear that lost a piece of our cell if that's the way to put it and i thought the rest of the network would come together and you more. I think the expectation was more, especially as a parent, mm. um, to rely on others. So for me, the world was not stopping, and it was very cold. People came and said their sorries. I hate the word sorry, um, and you know they use the things like move on and time to grow and and I get it, people are stuck for what to say because it's the the ultimate um, worst case scenario for people is is the thought of losing a child. Mm. Um, So I felt obligated after that three months of doing exactly what you said. All right, I've got to, for everybody else, act like I'm okay because they need to know that I'm okay so that they feel okay about themselves. And it just, it ruined a lot of friendships for me. It made me realize I sweat the small stuff and I don't do that anymore. It made me realize my children needed extra love and attention. Um, so when sadly Marie died, now Marie was in, living in New Zealand. Um, she was a backseat passenger in an illegal drag race everyone else survived but Marie mm. um, as I say friends don't kill friends it at the time that she died the laws in New Zealand changed um, for such activities and so Marie was classed all over the news as the first case to be set forward in New Zealand and that was pretty shocking no one prepared us that when you get off the plane she's going to be on newspapers and on the tv and you're going to see the crash site and you know and let's just keep on rolling on with everything so and i only that was very small compared to what you would have went through i found it invasive Mm. it's very Um, invasive yeah where i feel others felt that it was a moment to let her shine, but I'm thinking it's shining for all the wrong reasons. Um, but I was very aware at that stage about the children and how we needed to just um, let them know we were there because I learned so hard the last time. Um, it was sad because we're a blended family. So Marie and Alex are my husband's two children, Eric, Skye, Michael and mine. Um, we lost both our eldest children. Um, and Alex still lives in New Zealand. So it's very hard sometimes to support her um, through that because of the distance, that makes it hard. It's hard to support because um, you've got an actual mother over there where Eric Over's mum where with Marie, I was step-parent. So that, that's a whole other dynamic to stuff. I felt like I didn't have the right to cry for Marie or, um, or have a say in anything because she wasn't my child. So I just went into support mode of my partner. In saying that, I was very aware again that We've got children. Alex has other siblings. Um, So it was making them feel supported as much as I could without overstepping my boundary, which made it difficult as well. Over there, I don't think the world cared. Again, I think, how do I put it? I feel like the world, whether you lose a child, your dad, your mother, your brother, I suppose, um... It's, it's all the same. Grief is grief is how people put it. Sadly, I've got to say there's levels in that. Um, like I said earlier, I've lost a parent, I've lost an uncle, I've lost my Nan. I was very close to all of them, but none of them, none of them affected me, like losing our two children at all. Um, so for me, I... Um, I find the world is very caring but I feel it's more through that is what is expected of you to be like um, because that's what society does.
1: <laughs> so would you say it was caring to a point? Yes. There's a limit to the amount here that the world can care
0: yeah we don't we don't want to care for you too long because if something else happens to you or and and i felt like that with marie oh my god we sucked it you sucked it out of us with eric and now you've got a second one oh okay rightio well all right we'll do the obligation i'm not saying my friends and family um were not supportive please don't say that i'm saying in in the broader community though it there is that level of expectation that it's we do this, these oh how do you we turn up. We turn up at the funeral, you know? We'll tell you that we're gonna be there if you need us and all the rest of it's there's days when you lean over and you pick up a phone and it's like sorry and you get it. Their life hasn't been affected. But there's no call back or there's no um when you go to sit down and talk about Eric and Marie, um you see that uncomfortable shift and I'm not wanting you to get down mourning. I don't want you to um, feel bad. I just want to talk. He, they both were a big part of our life. I can't just turn that off because it makes you uncomfortable. And that's where I think society stops. Like we've done the funeral. We've done the, you know, year. Everyone tends to base this stuff around a bloody year and so now i sort of feel like you know <laughs> this is where we stop this and that's where i feel it's cold i'm 12 years in with eric and i still hurt
1: I, I i remember getting through my year, that first year and i thought well you've made it through the first year and then i realized that the prize the prize was oh the rest of the life without your child <laughs> and I actually found that first year I was it was it was really difficult because of the real I think I realized the real, reality of the scenario more than ever was I just had this this I didn't mean to do it but I had this idea of one year in my head get through that first year which is probably not a bad approach to take you know but, but uh, then I realized the prize was oh the rest of your life without your son mm. brilliant you mm. know so um. Yeah, that was strange. It it is interesting, but I, I do uh, it's interesting. I didn't realise about uh, your daughter going to New Zealand, and obviously yourself with the television input. I always feel super sorry for people. Once the cameras turned, the attention's turned off from these high profile cases, because life just goes on. You still, you've still uh, got to deal with this. Tr- you know tragic loss and and all the effects of grief and what it has on you and it's probably i sometimes say it's like a mental injury isn't it you know yeah. it's, it's and, and then you've got to sort of soldier on through these the rest of the time and suddenly attention's not on you and everyone thinks you're all right yeah you know, i don't know what people think you surmise what they think you don't really know what they think but you look here i i, I just just i'll try and sum up with this is uh I had two friends. One, I'm going to swear now. One said, You're fucked and you have to get used to it. And the other one said to me, You're going to be like a cat that's been hit in the head with a hammer. And I think both of them were kind of right in the way. (laughs) For me, I wanted someone to tell me how to recognise how bad this situation was. 'Cause least then I knew where to start.
0: They articulated yeah. it
1: so well. Yeah. I'm sorry for <laughs> laughing, but yeah.
0: It's that's pretty spot on. Yeah. What I wanted to ask like I'm looking at I'm listening to us as parents and Dave, you've got a daughter. Yeah. Um listening to Tina and just sitting here listening to us about how what we're saying what is the aftermath like for you guys? Has your daughter articulated anything at all? Herself, like how she feels two, three years after the fact?
1: Uh, I don't want to talk for her. No? For one. Um, I, she was very supportive to me and her mother. I mean, she had to mature very quickly, which I always feel sorry for her. And I think now she she's almost been a, a, an adult of almost as the age of a, the wisdom of a middle-aged person in a young person's body so therefore she finds it quite hard to relate to other people's um, moaning about not getting you know having too much study like oh, she, yeah. she went to university and finished all the studies she just didn't understand why people get so wound up over you know <laughs> final exams and stuff she was she's got so she's got this kind of um, I don't know Um, maturity yeah maturity that sometimes puts her outside of her peer group you know but Mm. um, it is interesting I don't know I mean I think time will tell I think we're quite quite too close to the situation yeah I mean I think I'll find out when she's a bit older how well or well or not well (laughs) me and my wife did it but I suppose one thing as well as to say is we're still together, me and my wife, which is, you know, there's a very high rate of divorce for people that lose mm. uh, children, which is, you know, good. Um, that, that good sounded too fast then. <laughs> uh, no, it is good. <laughs> and, and I think the other thing is we, 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 we just don't know. We just don't know what the outcome's gonna be, you know, mm. but um, it, it I think, I think I think one of the things that Trish has made me think a little bit harder about is and obviously talking to you is just this effect on you know the siblings and, and trying to be the best person you can, best parent you can be under the worst possible circumstances and if you can try and do that, that's what I've tried to do, now again my daughter will be the better judge than that and some days I haven't done it with some days I'm good, some days I'm alright, some days I'm terrible, you know, I'm just not, I'm not a great, and some, some you know, particularly um, when you go off, you're angry, you know, yeah. it's, it, it's you know, I'm never angry at her, I'm just angry, angry at the world, you know.
0: Can I ask, what is it like for a sibling to watch that parent when they're having that, like I took a sledgehammer and went for gold in on items in the household and, and, you know, screamed at my tree a fair bit in the front yard. And um, how does a sibling rationalise all that and deal with it while also having their their moment?
2: I think it's that point where you i'll speak for me i won't speak for the rest of the world um you realize that you have to step up in this moment because and i think some of that alienation that that we feel as siblings we do to ourselves as well right you know that that oh you know i heard about your sister but how's your mother doing We kind of do that to ourselves as well. Like, yes, I'm hurting. I lost my sister, but, oh, my God, my mother lost her child and she's not coping right now, so I need to be there for her. I'll put my pain aside because I need to be there for her. Um, And I I don't know whether I want to say luckily, in my life I have had a lot of tragedy, trauma, not tragedy, Mm -hmm. Um, I've kind of realised that those life events were getting me ready for losing Joe because it was the most traumatic experience and still is of my life. So because I had already experienced so much trauma through my childhood and and, and adolescence, I had already learnt, rightly or wrongly, how to compartmentalise my, my brain mm. and how to, um, it, you know, put things in the box and put it on the shelf, you know, put the mask mm. on so I can go out and work, um, uh, put my needs aside so that I can be there for my mother, put my, put my feelings towards my sister's husband aside so that I can support my niece And make sure that my thoughts um, and opinions did not colour or interfere with her process.
0: So I've got to ask, at what point did you allow yourself your process?
2: Uh, I was five years in um, and I suffered what society would normally term a, a, a breakdown. I had an absolute complete collapse because I had been operating outside my threshold for five years and not honoring my process. Mm. Um, And so when it came, (laughs) when it was time for me to face that and, and process my grief and my trauma, my brain had got to the point where it just went, you know what? enough enough we can't we're not doing this anymore (laughs) we're shutting down um i the 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 day that i finally uh got help i won't say sought help because i i didn't because that was weak um and my my upbringing had taught me that speaking up was dangerous and asking for help and asking for your needs to be met was dangerous. Um, I, I had, uh, In my house, I had an ensuite trying to get up and get ready for work one morning between the bed and the bathroom just to have a shower and get ready for work. I had six panic attacks, right. full-blown, on the floor, chest-crushing panic attacks because I I couldn't leave the house. I couldn't make my brain work anymore. I couldn't find my mask to put my mask on anymore. Um, I spent the day pretty much in the fetal position, just, just rocking backwards and forwards on the floor. My... 11 year old son he would have been at that point 11 or 12 just sat with me all day and just had his hand on my knee Um, he had injured himself he plays soccer he had injured himself and I had to take him to the hospital to get an x-ray and while we were at the hospital getting his cast put on I had another panic attack um and they were so that was so severe that the nurses thought i was having a heart attack um and and they they then whisked me off and hooked me up to all the machines and um it was a really difficult day it was a really difficult time but i kind of i kind of I'm, I'm grateful that my son broke his arm. I know that sounds ridiculous, but if he didn't break his arm at training, I would never have been in that hospital scenario and had that panic attack. And then from that, I was then diagnosed with PTSD. Um, and once triggered, my symptoms were, you know, obviously chronic depression, anxiety and borderline agoraphobia, which is why I was having so many issues getting out of the house and leaving the house um and i remember through that process of of recovery my my niece would often say oh mummy, your brain is so broken oh. <laughs> Here, here's your car keys mum." <laughs> oh. but this is, so to answer your question that's how I had to face up to my, my part in it. You just burn out? I just burn out. I just was operating outside my window of tolerance for far too long and my whole um, nervous system shut down.
0: Do you know what? My daughter, she probably have pink fits when she listens to this, <laughs> but we're a very open family. That's the one thing I've got to say from the death of both these kids. We were already an open family but and we were honest but you know there's certain things you don't say i've got to say for us we've grown into we'll say anything and sky was not a crier she wouldn't say his name she wouldn't that was her way i'll just pretend this never happened he never existed it created such drama between herself and i because it was like i've got to talk about eric i don't need to hear about that and would storm off um It just, it was very hard. And then I think for her, she had my grandbaby, not so much Nivea, but the next one, Rhythm. And she started crying. And she's like, I don't know what's wrong with me. I cry about everything. And I said to her, I think you're healing. Yeah. I think at some point you've run so hard that your body's just saying enough now. So whether you like it or not, And this is just my perception, again, like everyone else, I can't talk on their behalf. It's just my perception as a parent. I truly believe that is when I noticed her grief having to come um, to the surface and to be dealt with. And it was her body's way of like, you know what, whether you like it or not, you're going to cry. So she would cry over ads. They used to make fun of me. And I'd sit there and say to her, oh, I see you're having a moment. And... This is how bad my daughter is. If I started crying in her near her, she would get a broom. She literally got a straw broom one day and patted my back and was looking at the ceiling going, Yeah, okay over there? Is everything all right? And I'm like, just go home. <laughs> and I'm like, I'm gonna have a bit of a breakdown here. Okay, all right, love you, Mum. See ya. To the point where I said to her, Do I need to get the brew for you? <laughs> you <laughs> seem to be having a good whack at this. And <clears throat> honey, Don't make fun of me. And it wasn't. I was trying to explain to her that this is what happens. Yeah. And it's you've re, you've reinforced that for me as a parent, that you're not so quick to get to that point, I suppose. And I think siblings and this again, everybody is just my perspective. I think siblings are like the men. And I say that because I find the husbands tend to put on that mask. I'll go to work. i watch my husband get up, go to work. Our life had changed. I'm going to work. He flew in the day before the funeral because I've got to go to work. You know, and I'm sitting there going, well, um, uh, this, yeah, you know, right up to when we buried his dog, got to go to work. You know, worked up right up until... Just before we got to get on a plane, I'm fine. I'm fine. The day I found out he wasn't fine, I came home to a lovely bonfire of different things in the front yard, and I'm like, okay, we've hit that that point. I find that I don't know. I'm I, Dave, I'll look for your perspective on this. Like, so I just find that you tend to, as my perspective, men and the siblings, be it boy or girl. Tend to I don't know step back and think that they just can soldier on and don't whether they they put that pressure on themselves which is what it sounds like to a point um, where I don't know why us women tend to go or well, here we go here it comes like we still put on our face we still go out but we tend to I don't know nurture ourselves a little bit more and
1: I am gonna be. Um- stereotypically male now. Go on. Back on data. <laughs> Across the general population, males and females, probably there's going to be... they probably going to react to it very similarly, but, you know, there's going to be a lot of similarities of how you react to, to, to any sort of dramatic, life-changing event. Uh, I wouldn't want to speak for all men. I think I reacted differently. Um, I think the anger... Maybe manifests itself more in men. I think you have to do something about that. I'd say with some confidence, the anger. I'm not saying women don't feel angry. It's just that we we can access that anger quicker. It's there all the time anyway. With you know, because you know, of testosterone and things like that. Um, as I, I think me initially, I think my daughter was the stalwart for us, and then probably my wife afterwards. Um, I'd say she's a bit more stoic than me, um, and we have different ways of showing it, you know. But um, yeah, I don't know. I, 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 I'm, I'm probably not the, t- the the typical man that way, you know. I, I, um, uh, I, I, I probably had to pack in work. I was surprised when I, oh yeah, I was probably surprised when I had to pack in work. But I was surprised.
2: I was yeah. surprised.
1: I don't know why. I don't know why I so, I, as I think on it now, I was surprised by I didn't know what to do. I, but I knew it wasn't working. I won't go into where I was working and stuff like that. I just I can't be bothered with all that. Um but um yeah, I had to pack in work and I did feel some responsibility then. Yeah, I probably did. I felt I was letting the team down. I remember thinking, oh, my wife's going to work, my daughter's going to school, you need to go to work. But I couldn't keep it up, you know? Yeah. And I think it depends on the workplace. I think it depends how you're treated in the workplace. I think it depends on... Um, My daughter's school was very supportive of her, you know? And that's not always the case. Um, my wife, I don't want to give too much away, she works with people who had an intimate understanding of what she was going through, which really helped her. Which, you know, the Compassionate Friends, Queensland, we we have this peer to peer support, which is what's about me my wife
0: work environment is similar to would, that. Would, would would have had
1: that in there, yeah. Um so, you know, and I probably gravitated to 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 men that had been other been in in very difficult situations in their lives that they had a sense of dose of reality about them you know i i found myself very impatient of anyone who i still do i still am incredibly impatient of anyone who who's not dealing in, in reality you know and if i'm wrong i'll apologize quickly i don't feel that that thing of pride now that I don't have to apologize, you know, and all that sort of stuff. A lot of stuff's been—it's like an acid. moved it's like an acid bath. You get just stripped of all this, and you edit your friendship. <laughs> you do as well. so. It's do. an editing process, mm. and I think you feel bad initially, uh, and you get angry because you feel bad for doing it. But you just have to realize that again. You know, another friend said to me, "Look, you need to surround yourself with people that are going to give, as opposed to take from you," and. That was a good piece of advice because you, 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 some people in life just do, do demand a lot of your attention. And that's fine if you're working all right, if it's going all right in your life. That's the dynamic that's being set up. But the whole table's been tossed over, hasn't it? You know, in your life, yeah. it's been tossed over, and all the cutlery's on the floor. As an analogy, this analogy, I'm going to stretch it out until it wears itself out, and eventually. You know, you have got to pick the table back up and rearrange the table, and bits of it are broken. You know, bits of the cot- cutlery are broken and stuff, and maybe the cups are chipped, and that's it. And yeah. So if people don't like that. Well, tough. Yeah. There's nothing we can do about it. We we do no, no, none of us asked for this, um, but I think it's, I think it's getting through realizing that quickly and moving past that. That that probably helps. That probably helped me. I probably I probably had enough of a personality type that allowed me to say. Well, you're probably not a particularly nice person so i can quite easily cut you out of my life now i've I, i've i've been in, i've heard people talk they find it incredibly difficult if you're very amiable and very what's the what's the word i'm looking for um you're very um you've got a nice personality and you don't like ups- agreeable, agreeable 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 personality and you don't want to fall out with people well if if you're it's very very hard you're now thrown into a situation where you're probably gonna have to fall out with people really yeah and it's incredibly difficult because you're not that way inclined yeah i've so, got to
0: ask a question here just thinking how did you find your friendship like listening to us we, we're saying oh we've had to go through friends and do this sort of stuff and that sort of stuff and i just want to quickly point out before i get you to answer that tina I've realized you're coming from a single parent family. Is mm-hmm. that right over there? Yeah. You're still the, the... You're both the biological parents of your child and I'm a blended family. So the thing with um, me and my family was because I'd gone through with Eric previous, when Marie died, I think I stepped in with my husband and said, hey, look, I insist you take you don't go to work I want you to sit back and stop and I want you to just think about how you really are about this I've got you back this time because he did that for me when things went down so I just knew that you know for all that Marie was killing me inside and and I had my own um, grief his to me was bigger because it was his biological daughter if that makes sense
2: but I, but I think that speaks to what I was saying about even though as siblings we feel that your grief's not as, whatever the word is, equal, deep, equal. E- equal as your parents and we kind of, we take that on ourselves. Yeah. But I think, like I hear that in you about Maria because she wasn't your biological child therefore you didn't feel like you had the right to grieve for her and that loss like your husband did but I'm like I guess where I'm coming from is that the relationship is what matters the relationship that you had with that person it doesn't matter what level it society puts it at I had a very 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 close relationship with my sister um our parents divorced when she was only 18 months old you know i we were a single parent family i was the eldest sibling you know i didn't raise her obviously i'm not her parent but i was in a very protective nurturing um role in her life and that continued right to the point where you know her life was taken so my relationship with her was deep it was important it was big in my life that doesn't and and that's what should be acknowledged you know there there are brothers and sisters out there that don't get along yeah um, you know that yeah. that you know if their brother or sister passed away then it's like okay whatever I haven't talked to him for 20 years who you know oh, we'll yeah, go to the yeah, funeral because yeah. it's the right thing to do but you know there's no relationship there and I think you had a relationship with your stepdaughter it doesn't make it doesn't make the loss bigger smaller better worse because it wasn't your biological child it was a loss and it was a relationship that you're grieving and I think if I, if I can bring anything to the compassionate friends and the, the sibling support, that's what I want to say. We as children know that our parents are facing their darkest, darkest day. But that adds to our grief because we can't fix it for our parents. Mm-hmm. We can't. Bring our sibling back. we we can't celebrate Mother's Day anymore because that breaks mum's heart because there's one child missing. Um, how do we do Christmas? How do yeah. I do that for my children? you know how how do I keep normalcy alive for them when my you know, my heart's breaking, when my mum's heart's breaking, when none of us want to do it, but we still have these two I hate innocent it people that, yeah. you know, that still need to have birthday parties and Christmases and, you know, celebrate wins and, like, it, the relationship is what is important. And, and, and I think, yes, how they die matters because it adds that layer of complexity but who they are and what uh, <clears throat> what role they are to you is of no never minds when it comes to the relationship that you have with that person because that's what needs to be honored and mm-hmm. that's what that's what you grieve that's what that's what you've lost regardless of how the loss happened that's what you lost
0: Look what you're saying. I, I look I look at that now and I miss her very, very much actually. I sit here and think, like when we're talking to you and and I think to myself, you know, I pictured her, she was a great photographer. So I, I pictured her for all that she was going to be a fashion beauty esthetician, beautician, fashionista, whatever it was. I always said I could see her in Paris being a world top photographer, because she just had an eye for detail. And um, I sit here and think about where would she be? What would she be doing? My son was very adamant he wouldn't be a dad, never wanted to be a dad. So I often think, would you have had a child by now? Would you have found the right person? And it's those moments I feel those connections, but yeah. it's also in those moments I feel so separated from my kids and my husband because I just... um, My perception of who they would be, I've never talked about what they thought they'd be. Hmm. And having this today, I think it's a conversation I do want to have.
2: Yeah. Yeah. And I think to... I think that will differ depending on which child you have the conversation with because uh my sister was pregnant at the time she was murdered mm. um she was 12 weeks she had had difficulty and lost a, a child probably about 12 months before and it was a genetic thing um <clears throat> and so she was very scared of this pregnancy because potentially it could have the same issue, and she had to have lots of different tests and you know one thing and another. So um, she was murdered on the Saturday, and the the Monday that next Monday was her 12 week checkup when she was having her uh, amniocentesis and all of the tests mm-hmm. on the baby to to check and see. Um, and that was such a big part of her and her life, and obviously she was pregnant. Now, my, my mother grieves a grandchild mm. along with her daughter. My brother, and sis, uh, my brother and I haven't actually done that, um, whereas I honour my mum's right to, th- I'll be honest, I think it's a little weird. Um, but she has named the child. She has given it a birthday, which, you know, was the due date and you know celebrates her birthday and, you know, all that stuff, um, which is her right to do. Um, and I sit back and kind of support mum in that. I don't join her in it, but I support her in that. Whereas my brother finds it very weird and strange and um, confronting, yeah. and is is quite judgmental of mum doing that, and doesn't want to hear about it, doesn't want to see, you know, birthday posts on Facebook or, you know, and is very vocal about that to mum. Now, Dave, Dave was I was interested when he said, you know, that he and his wife are still married because a lot of people get divorced. But I think I think that divorce rate and you know the separation in families is is not just because oh it's it's hard for a husband and wife to go through losing a child. Of course, yes it is. Like no one's saying That's that. But it's so easy for us to judge someone else's grief process. Yes. You know, to sit back and think, Well, you're not doing it right and you should be doing this and you should be doing that and this is how I'm doing it. And why can't Why can't you do it this way and why can't you support me this way and, you know, why why has my husband locked himself in the shed, you know, for the last 20 weekends in a row and he's not there for me and this, that? We're too busy judging. We're too busy um, being self-righteous and judging how somebody else is processing their grief instead of supporting them in their grief.
0: Oh, look, I agree with that 100%. It was weird, because we're a blended family, neither of us had have children ourselves together mm. with me and Mick, well um, Mick and I. And, um, and I remember when Eric died, I went over to his biological dad's place and we sat out the backyard and we held hands and we were talking, because he was in uh, my life, and eric's life up until a certain point and then we separated right so it was me sitting down with this person and although we still share a child together it was for me it was a goodbye our has ended she is old enough that i don't need to be in your life i don't you don't need to be in mine um and then we walked off. I later found out that people were like, oh, look, they're going to get back together. Isn't that lovely? And all the rest of it. I was happily with my partner. I was just doing a memory walk of my child with the person who was there, who happened to be the biological dad. The same with my husband. He had to do that journey with the biological mother of Marie, mm-hmm. and I understood that, but You know, there was all that undertone, oh, look, they're going to get back together. And there's all these pressures. And I just think to myself, it's a process. We're just trying to process what the bloody hell has happened to us here. Mm. I don't see a a map, people. (laughs) And if you've got one, can you please share it? (laughs) Because we'd all like to see that one. Mm. And it's that whole, I think... There was jealousy. I can honestly say there was jealousy. The jealousy that I felt for both of us, and again, this is my perception, was we don't have children together. So there's a part of the journey he wasn't a part of, to a point, and there was a part of his journey I wasn't a part of. And in the death of those kids, it really highlighted that whole gap that we weren't always together forever and eternity and the perfect couple or whatever you want to put it as, society's, you know, um, box. Um, and I think that for us created that how do we respond to this because you're jealous of, of not having that moment of connectedness So I can see in some ways how marriages fall apart from that perspective. Um, It was good, though, that what friends we did have stick around were strong and supportive. And it wasn't like, we'll take Trish over here and Mick over there and have a conversation. It was just an all-in, honest conversation because we're straight-up people. So that helped people, I think, a lot. And it helped us keep talking then. Um, I won't say that there wasn't days where we spoke with sign language walking down the hallways to each other or a few good FU bombs and a a couple of tanties along the way. But um, I really can see how, and then I think, how did the kids see that? Did they see that as we fighting and we're falling apart and we can't stay together and, oh, my God, here comes the next layer of loss? Yeah. Because when the coroner rang me, um, the coroner's office rang me when Eric died, one of the first things they said over phone to me was, you know, sorry about um, the death of your son, blah, blah, blah. By the way, be aware that 99% of most marriages fail through the death of a child. And I remember screaming at these people. So not only are you effing telling me I've lost my kidney, you effing telling me I'm losing my family too. And I hung up on them. Like, I don't need to hear that. So I often wondered, how did, this, how did my kids see that dance? Because we were just trying to respect each other's grief and feel those feelings without putting it on each other, which clashes, whether you like it or not, it clashes. I often wondered, how did the kids see that on top of everything? Mm.
1: I was just going to try and tie a few things up. If you don't mind okay. and a little bit of pushback um, <laughs> is. First of all, I know you're not. You might. You're not saying this, Tina. I don't believe you're saying this. Is obviously, I realise that my marriage has stayed together. Is is very fortunate, and I'm very grateful for it. And I'm not. I realise how precarious it is. And I would never infer that people who don't are somehow less- No. I don't, I've never really felt that. I'm just, um, I'm being genuine there. Uh, I think the second thing is about how people behave. You know, there's a left and right of arc. And what I mean by that, there's a range of behaviors that we have to, we, we can, we're gonna have to tolerate from the other person in in the, in the relationship the father you know mother or father the child for, more, for a better phrase for the sake of this conversation I we'll say the mother and father the child there's a range of to- babies you're going to have to tolerate and some that are intolerable
0: mm-hmm.
1: and I think mm-hmm. we have to accept that you know yeah. I, this, and, and I think if you want to call that judgment then yeah I suppose it is and I think that you have to be the biggest judges I, you know I try and judge myself the, the harshest on that it's like you know am I um adding to my family's burden. Mm,
0: yes. By my
1: be being a, a total dickhead today, which has happened too often. You know, I'm not gonna pour I'm not gonna sort of pour myself over uh um, <clears throat> pull myself over the coals over this. You know, it's the be you know, but there can't be too many days. If we have seven 8, 9, 10, 12, 30, fourteen days on a row like that, then and I, I might be getting the divorce papers. You know, I mean, it's, 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 it's. That's all I'm trying to say in the matter. And I think what's the other interesting thing is I've noticed, it's an aside. The whole COVID forcing people together in family groups. It's really, it's been interesting to me to watch. I think the schisms in any family and any pressure that's applied to it will mm. split. Can start to crack the family unit. This COVID, some families have, have become closer together, but, and other ones have actually it, just bro- b- b- broken them apart. Yeah,
0: recognize their gaps. Yeah,
1: yeah, yeah. yeah. It's put, certainly put pressure on them, and there's certainly been you know um, things things go wrong. We'll just leave it at that. So I just think obviously you know losing a child or losing a your know guy's sibling because you you know it could be in a relationship and lose a sibling and all the rest of it uh it can you know it it, it can the wheels can come off yeah. pretty quick and uh and that's you know had to be yeah that's, that's to be expected but it, it it's just you know I, I think judgments are i think judgments okay getting too deep into well yeah i'm going to get deep and philosophical it's whole point of the podcast um one must judge oneself by some standard a very dear friend of mine gave me a, it was marcus Aurelius. he gave me a, a piece i think it's called headland it's and um, you know you try to the, the sea's hitting you it's crashing on you and it hit you, the waves are hitting you and, and some part of you has to remain for the people around you you can't completely lose yourself and be dissolved by this And um <clears throat> That's your aim, you might not get there, but I think that's the only aim you, you, you should be sure. trying to, to to reach for is is not to be com- completely apart and I mean and some people do, and I, I have at times you know when I, mean, I have yeah I've come completely apart, you know hopefully, like you say, we're good friends, And it's interesting what you said as well is the expectation on family is there, yeah, you have an expectation, and it's a check, you think, I'll oh, cash that check in now for the old family. Now I I'm I'm talking about my direct family like my mum, dad, yeah. siblings were great. I'm never gonna criticise them at all over how they dealt with that. Um but you know, it's not always that kind you know, I, I maybe for my mum parents, yeah their siblings might not have been as supportive. I'm not saying that. I don't know. I d I've not had this conversation really with my with me mum. I don't think my aunties with my mum would have been. Um, but it, you know it's very, it's very, 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 very difficult, and you expect family to do more, and some family just isn't capable of doing it. No, that's and what it. you find is in life you've found friends maybe that are who have had different life experiences or are up to it. Life's toughened them; they put it, you know, put a bit of bark on them, and they're the ones that can probably help you because they've got enough energy and wisdom. What of a better phrase?
0: Can I just say? it's it's the reason i brought that up i'm like you i go say parents and immediate family were great but it's like they're mourning too you're aware of that so you're sort of looking to go outside that circle of immediate family and it's sad that you just learn that like you say you go to cash that check and the currency's not there and sometimes it's just they don't have that currency it's that simple and that's okay don't get me wrong it just makes it a bit harder because you i think it just proves this conversation that society has a lot of expectations (laughs) and we carry those expectations whether we like it or not and there is that gap being a parent and a sibling and i hope that my thing by doing this is hoping that we start conversations in the homes of people um friends of people um acquaintances of people because none of us expected to be where we are today yeah and nobody likes having these conversations but at some point we've got to just take it and have it and that's where i feel this is all about
1: for us and, and, the, and the other thing as well is is you know you might have a work colleague hopefully you know if if you listen a work colleague and you, even if they listen to this they might go oh, now i understand why i'll oh, use tina uses as an example tina's been acting a bit strange this week
2: <laughs> oh, yeah. i wonder
1: why trish told me to f off before <laughs> or something like that that oh right yeah yeah that's why and you know sometimes you need to fess up yourself and say why you're upset hmm. I think you know um, it is hard it's very hard you think they should know well they don't and if they, if you tell them a couple of times they don't get it then it's probably you've probably worked out they're probably not much going to be use, much used to you anyway so um, but hopefully maybe employees empl- sorry employers will listen to this and maybe uh, start thinking about how they deal with, with people that have, have lost had a terrible loss in their life and uh, hopefully that will do some some good.
0: Can I just ask Tina what, for this episode, what did you feel that you most hope the listener got?
2: I think for me it, I just really wanna say to you and my mum, you both as parents and and my mother, that you didn't do a bad job. You didn't let me down. You did the best that you could at a really fucked up time in your life. And we know that you're broken. We don't expect... More from you than what you can give. But that said, because our parents are broken, more times than not, they're they're our support, and when we don't want to add to our parents' burden, um, it's it it creates a void. It creates a. a um a chasm where that i i feel very passionately about and that's why i've come to the compassionate friends to 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 say to parents nobody expects you to do this better because you can't but there is a void Let's see if we can't put some mechanisms in place and some supports in place so that if you can't be the one to support your child in this process, there is somewhere for them to go. There is some someone, a peer that has been through it that can understand where they're coming from and just just help a little bit. Just just throw them a lifeline a little bit. Because nobody expects the parents to be able to do any more than just breathe in that moment. And I just really wanted to 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 kind of bring that to the conversation because my mum did the best she could. And I don't want her to feel like I think anything other than that, you know, yeah. Yeah. Can I
0: finish this saying one thing? I want to say it to you and I want to say it to my kids. Thank you for being brave because I think it takes a lot of courage to have to watch your parent fall apart and become someone they don't even know themselves and still get up and still try and be the beautiful you. So I want you to hear that from us as parents.
1: Thank you.